Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for listening. On this episode, eight-year survivor, writer, and founder of A Second Act, Judy Pearson, joined us on the podcast. Judy shares her breast cancer story, the inspiration behind A Second Act, and all of the different ways that the organization is supporting survivors, not just breast cancer survivors. Take a listen in. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Judy, an eight-year survivor and the founder of A Second Act. So welcome, Judy, to the show. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to talk about so many different things with you, (laughs) (laughs) really. Um, But let's start with your story. So tell me a little bit about your breast cancer story, um, how you found your lump, or if there was a lump, um, and then maybe talk about some of the treatments that you experienced, and then we'll talk about the creation of a second act. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. So um, my life was pretty much um, perfect. I had met the man of my dreams. We were newlyweds um, living on the shores of Lake Michigan in a little resort town. Um, My eldest son, who is career Air Force, was about to deploy to Afghanistan. So that was a little scary. But other than that, I thought I had a pretty sweet life. And then one night, we were about two months after a clean mammogram, we were watching television, and I scratched my cleavage, and there was a bump. And I said to him, to my husband, feel this. I think it's new. Most men will feel your boobs if you ask them to. <laughs> True statement. Right. And um, so he did indeed confirm that it was something new. And um, many diagnostic steps later, as everyone knows, um, it was confirmed as um, malignant. And because of its size and the fact that I don't have super giant boobs, the surgeon said, you know, I just I just think we'll just do a mastectomy. It'll be easier than messing around. As it turned out, I'm very glad that she did because when they got in there, there were many tumors circling wow. the mothership. If I hadn't felt that one, by the time I'd been able to feel the others, I would have been in very dire straits. And as a matter of fact, um, nine years before my cancer, my mother's sister, my maternal aunt, died of metastasized triple negative breast cancer. Wow. So So I want to pause just real quick, only because I find it so fascinating that the number of people that I have interviewed up to this point, and I'm 
um, I'm included in this as well, that, you know, we had a clean mammogram or a clean exam done by the gynecologist or whomever. And then a period of time later, we just happened to scratch or touch or some area in that specific area. Right. You know what I mean? To then find that lump. Like I just... And there's typically a reason for that. People who are built like you and me. um, So breast tissue is made up of um, fat and then fiber. And so... The more trim you are, the less fat there is, but the fiber shows up white in mammograms. It's called dense tissue. So therefore, they can't, and and cancer shows up white. Right. So I suspect you probably have uh, dense tissue, dense breast tissue too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I had never had a mammogram until my very first and only one. (laughs) Bingo. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but I was, my gynecologist had done a breast exam when I was in the office and didn't find anything. So, but again, just kind of like you touched a certain area and there it was. And there it was. So, and then, uh, and again, like I said, the number of people that I've talked to that have had that same experience, um, is just mind boggling to me. And I would, I would counsel listeners. Um, it is a state by state law, but Arizona where we are is, um, is bound by this particular law radiology reports have to say you have dense tissue in some format. And if you see that on your mammogram report, even if it's a clean one, then it's time to ask for the next step, which does not have to be invasive. It can be an ultrasound. It can be an MRI, but that's a much bigger deal. A breast ultrasound is much easier because ultrasound does see cancers differently than mammography does. Right, right, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is why they take that next step yep after that so okay so sorry no no that's um, (laughs) okay that's all right so what stage were you so i was stage two and um um when i and and so i i guess i should explain triple negative um triple negative breast cancer is not fueled by um hormones so you said i think you were ERPR positive? I was ERPR right. positive. So estrogen, progesterone, and then HER2, which is the other um, other factor. Triple negative is, uh, is not fueled by any of those. Okay. And it is found in about 15% of all breast cancer cases. So it's fairly rare, yeah. super aggressive. Um, but the really odd thing is that it is typically found in young women women of color and women women of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. So I was 57, not young, pretty pretty Caucasian. Um, the only wild factor might be some ancient Jewish heritage that I don't know about, but um, the fact that both my aunt and I were diagnosed with it uh, yeah. prompted me to get um, some genetic testing done. I, I do ask. not carry no. any gene mutations that mm. we know of thus far. So... All cancer is some kind of mutation. We just haven't discovered mine yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and genetically connected. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it. I would find it very rare um, that there would be a rare type of cancer, triple negative, and then having it be yourself, and then also your right. aunt. And she was older still. She was like sixty-eight, I think. So yeah. yeah. So middle-aged senior white women. It just doesn't yeah, make sense. Didn't make. <clears throat> so then what did that do in terms of the impact for your treatments? 
So um, the treatment then, so it's, we get chemotherapy as well. Um, it's called ACT, adriamycin, cisplatin, and um, toxol. Um, but there are no follow-up um, drugs, tamoxifen or any of those other drugs, none of those have impact. And actually, just as I was finishing treatment, um, the human genome project was still going on. <clears throat> and um, it resulted, my tumor, in fact, was was donated. They, they asked me if they could donate my tumor. And I said, yes, it's not like I was going to no. take it home. <laughs> and then they said, and we'll will respectfully dispose of it. And I thought, what an odd thing to say. It's not respecting me. It's trying to kill yeah. me. You know, you can feed it to the dogs for all I care. Flush it down the toilet. Exactly. But what the research then proved was that um, triple negative breast cancer cell structure is more akin to ovarian cancer. So although the standard of treatment is still ACT, um, they are looking at other things to add to it that might, um, you know, turn it a little bit. Um, so it was 18 rounds, you know, pretty nasty. I mean, chemotherapy is chemotherapy. Right. Um, I was more concerned about my baby boy being shot at in Aww. Afghanistan. <laughs> I know, it was such a weird time. But, you yeah. know, we trooped through it. And um, I loved being bald. I thought it was super fun. I had long hair and... Um, it's, I just never let it grow back. I love my short hair. Okay. And um, so we got to the other side of it, and I thought, okay, so I've survived. Why did I survive? What am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, well, and I think that's for so many people, um, you know, they, they get to that point where it's kind of like, now what? Exactly. Now what happens? Yeah. You know, you, it, it's almost it's almost like having a loss all over again. Like for me personally, I felt like I had lost so much mm -hmm. of who I was before cancer. And then, you know, obviously losing physical parts of myself. Mm -hmm. um, so that was that loss there. But then when I got to kind of the, the end of it, if you will, you know, I wasn't being seen by the doctors as much. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't under the the careful watch mm -hmm. of all of these people who had become such a significant part of my it's life. It's the medical cocoon. Yes. And so, again, I felt lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was grieving almost that I'm not seeing these people so much. That's right. Um, and so it really is kind of that struggle of, okay, you know, now what? Where do I go from here? Yep. So that kind of led you into... Well, it, it did. So I'm a writer by profession, and um, I write nonfiction. So I spend a great deal of time researching for my books. Um, and, you know, and I, I research a lot of projects, only some of them become books. A lot of them, my agent says, no, nope, not a book, not a book, not a book. Um, but I never, it, I, so I had researched the disease, my particular disease, my treatment, the reconstruction, but at no point did I consider researching survivorship. I truly expected that once they unplugged me from that last infusion, the old Judy would jump out of the chemo cake and the old Judy was nowhere to be found. No. So um, I also have um, postgraduate work in psychology and I know that the human mind is um, structured to look for purpose in things. It's it's what helped our species survive. You know, if a if a saber toothed tiger ate your leg, 
Note to self, stay away from them. (laughs) So finding my cancer's purpose was a really big deal. And I had been researching um, a book about women's courage, ironically, before cancer, and had come across some really amazing statistics about the health benefits of volunteering. And then after cancer, I started meeting women survivors who were doing astounding things in their survivorship. And I realized that by helping others in any way, big, small, just a little daily random acts of kindness, by helping others, they were healing themselves. Absolutely. And so the whole notion of being able to share their stories, and it started in in written form, and then a friend um, who had been accepted to uh, be part of a cast, a storytelling cast about motherhood, who was also a cancer survivor, said, we could make this a stage performance. And um, then my husband and I moved back to Phoenix. My friend died. And I looked at my husband and said, I am going to do this. I'm going to start this organization, you know, in Joanna's honor and go for it. And I did. So the, was Joanna a breast cancer survivor? She was or, not. Okay. She Her story, it was amazing. And, and she actually was a blogger before cancer, but then really became prolific, a prolific writer after cancer. She had an, uh, an emergency C-section. And when they were delivering her baby daughter, they found that she had fallopian tube cancer. Oh, wow. And then further found after some genetic testing that she was um, BRCA positive. So then she had a prophylactic double mastectomy. And it was at that point that I met her. And first day I met her, I hauled her into the restroom of the coffee shop and pulled up my shirt and said, look, this isn't so bad. You, they can make them look pretty good. Um <laughs> So um, her cancer was pretty advanced when they found it, and it ultimately metastasized um, to her brain. But a second act, I hope, is a little bit her legacy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it really, it sounds like it. Yeah. It sounded like that was something that she thought was possible. And um, I have no doubt that she would be super honored. I hope and so. I proud. hope so. Oh, absolutely. Well, and the, and so the mission is that um, um, recognizing that helping is healing. Yeah. We celebrate and support women survivors of all cancers who are giving back to the greater good using their gifts of life and experience. And um, it's been in our four years of existence quite a journey. I'm really proud of this little organization. Yeah, that's and it's exciting. It I is. Mean, it's it's you know exciting for many reasons. <laughs> uh, first, you get to meet all of these. Oh my gosh! You know, women amazing. who are giving back and. Um, you know, like you said, in the process, healing themselves. Yeah. Um, but then you you put on this big stage act. I know. Um, so let's talk a little bit Alrighty. about that. And that actually, so that was the first thing. So when I started second act, a second act, and it's always spelled with a two, mm-hmm. two N-D rather than second spelled out. When I started it, I thought, okay, so we're going to do this annual storytelling event and the money we raise will allow us to make micro grants to women survivors who are ready to launch or grow their second acts. Um, and we 
we worked our first year to build up enough of a treasury so that we could then start making these micro grants. And we've thus far awarded thirteen thousand oh, dollars, thirteen wow. one thousand dollar grants. Yep, that's awesome. In three years, um, and the stage performance is not a sad cancer thing because um, a, a lot of people who don't go and then finally go say oh my gosh, that's not what I expected. <laughs> so women audition from all over the state of Arizona um, for a place on, uh, We thus far the casts have been between 8 and 10. Um, and they tell a five to seven minute story that's pretty much, you know, the phoenix rising from the ashes. We tell them, we don't want you to focus on the treatment. It was icky. The audience doesn't want to know how icky. It's what got you here, but just talk a little bit about that. And then tell us about your second act. And I have had everything from um, women who started um, canine canine rescue organizations, um, written books. Um, again, as I said, they do small random acts of kindness. Um, one woman's second act is prison reform. She was uh, diagnosed and treat, treated while serving a seven-year sentence for wow. securities fraud um there's a stand-up comic and all of their videos now there are 50 of them they are all on our website but backstage at the very first performance the stand-up comic and another woman came running up to me and said before they even went on stage this should be a book you're a writer figure out how to make this a book so we now have a format set up um, and the stand-up comic is actually a graphics professor at ASU so she is our book editor once the cast is selected and we um, make whatever changes they want to make to their stories within a very brief amount of time. I get their stories to the editor with their photos and their bios. And by the time of the performance, six weeks later, the books with their stories in it are oh, wow. ready to sell. Oh, and so, so our books then become a fundraiser right. as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so it doesn't have to be the, the second act of their story or their life is something related to cancer. No. So, and I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. Right. So, you know, not everybody is called to exactly do something that is in that realm. And sometimes the second acts have been, well, I always did this, but now I see that I could grow it even more. I could do it this way instead. Or, you know, it, it, the, the whole, idea is that you come to the other side of cancer and you can either you know we can't undo the diagnosis it is right. so you can either hide under the covers with a bottle of jack and a box of jelly donuts or you can figure out okay get your butt out of bed don't know how many days you got left let's make them good absolutely yeah, yeah. or you could have a podcast like you <laughs> and rowboats <laughs> or things <laughs> um so if somebody wanted to audition so is the audition like a live event is that no. a video no yes the auditions are live okay. um so and uh, for 2020 they will be february 1st and 2nd um they uh can find the information on our website we they sign up for a 15 minute slot um 
although we don't want them to speak for 15 minutes, but they will get very specific instructions and then they'll get the location because it's we don't want people just showing up. We can audition a max of 25 week, women over that weekend and then the audition team, which does not include me, I get random people to do it. Um, they, because I, I think that's important to keep fresh eyes and minds on it. Um, they, at the end of Sunday, um, select the cast. And um, then I um, have a very difficult task of calling those who were not selected oh, along yeah. with those who were. But the audition team always gives us um, feedback. So we've had gals who've not been selected one year and they've come back to be selected the next year. Okay. So I, I love that. Yeah. I really love that. I mean, it's, it's a hard process. To it is. It down. really is. And, and it's not because stories aren't good. Right. The, the whole idea of this is to be able to reach every single person in the audience. And we do this at Scottsdale Center for the Performing Arts, which is a big theater. Yeah. So we need to touch everyone. So we create a cast that is diverse in age, ethnicity, story tone, cancer type, um, because breast cancer is the most um, prevalent cancer type among women. We get a lot of breast cancer survivors. Sure. So when someone comes in and says, I had brain cancer, we all go, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Not yay, but And yay. then we have to explain why we're yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the the um, performance is March 22nd, 2020, and tickets are $22. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Lots of twos. Lots of yeah, twos. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have two other events, uh, two other things that we do, um, quarterly girls' night out events, which um, are nothing more than survivor networking events, um, some munchies, a little wine, signature cupcakes, and just the idea that women – whether they're newly diagnosed or decades out, can just mingle with other women. Yes. There's no structure. There's no program other than oh, I love that. the one where we make the grant presentations. Right. But um, And we do those at Scottsdale Harley because that's kind of the, the center of the Phoenix universe. It's easy to get to from everywhere. Yeah. But and you've done one, you've done some in Tucson. And in well. Tucson, yes, okay. correct, okay. yes. And we're about to expand to Flagstaff. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other part of our work um, is our workshop. So it occurred to me, um, I my first invention, my first iteration of adult life was as a teacher. And it occurred to me that um, we're celebrating women who have second acts, but what if someone doesn't know what their second act might be? How, how do they arrive at that? So the workshops um, guide women to consider what their skills, their passions, and their cancer might have uniquely qualified them to do in a second act. And I believe, I know for a fact, that men and women heal differently. So our programs are women-centric, not because we, we don't, think that men also sure. have second acts or also need healing, but the majority of men would be hard-pressed to do what we're doing and um, in the format uh, in which we're doing it. But more importantly, separating cancers for workshops is not a big deal. You know, cancer is cancer is cancer. Right. They've, it's taken body parts. We've lost our hair. We, we've all had these horrific experience, experiences. So separating cancers out is not as important as dividing the genders because when you have gender-specific 
um, programs going on, it's a much more authentic experience. So our workshops are just women. Even our male board members um, just have to trust that I'm doing what I say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they are... Um, they're um, like half-day workshops with lunch afterwards and workbooks. And um, and again, they're not sad. They're fun right. and, and interesting. Guided and guided by somebody? It's, it's or guided multiple? by me. Okay. And okay. Um, I include the gals who've been parts of our cast, or, or the gals who are our cast members. We call them Purple Tribe members. So they participate as well. Okay. <clears throat> and facilitating. Yeah, well, and I I like that because not everybody immediately knows. Yeah, right. Like they have this desire. They they know there's something. Right. And but sometimes it it doesn't come right immediately. Like right. for some people, you know, they they get through this experience and they're like, "This is what I'm doing." Yep. <laughs> you know, and they go for it. But for some, and I'm going to include myself in this, <laughs> um, don't really figure out what yeah. it is for a period of time. And sometimes. Your first second act that you think is it leads to another second act, which then leads to another second act. You know, it, so uh, unlike the Ten Commandments, this is not inscribed in stone. You can you <laughs> right. can make it up you as change. you go. Yeah, <laughs> things change. Yeah, life, life changes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so so there's the auditioning, and then there's the performance, <clears throat> and um, the people. Then the grant is um, the grant ceremony is something different. It's so a separate it, night. It, no, it's a part of of the girls' night out in September. So okay. our grant um, platform is open um, June and July. So the people who do the the stage performance are not necessarily the people that receive no. the grants. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is it. it's all completely independent. So okay. you, you might have been in a performance, but not necessary. You might have been at a workshop, but not necessary. Got it. You apply for the grant. Um, the advisory board, our our uh, six person advisory board, um, then reads the grant proposals throughout the month of August. Um, then I have to call all those people too. <laughs> this is really a crappy job I came up with for myself. <laughs> so I have to call, and I'm so funny. I learned long ago, do the thing that's the most difficult, the least fun first. So I call all those yeah. who say, and the ones I have to say, not this year. <clears throat> and then I call those who are awarded the grants. And again, we've had them apply a second time, um, and that board, too, gives feedback to help for the next go-around. So then we always have a, um, a girls' night out in September, and it's at that one that we award the grants. But um, but that's the only programmatic part of any of our girls' night out. Okay. The rest of it is just a bunch of fun. Okay. <laughs> so the people that do the stage performance are part of the book. Yes, there's okay. in the book. Right, there in that's the book. connected. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And as we started adding more and more, um, we realized that the threshold was really 32 stories in the book. So then the older stories started rolling off until we had completed volume one. That's always for sale on our website and and on Amazon. We started volume two, and the same thing will happen with that. We'll continue developing that until we have 32 fresh stories in it. And then um, then that will be retired and we'll start volume three. But the retired ones are always for sale. Okay. Very cool. Wow. I mean, that's uh, 
that's a lot. It is. It is. <laughs> Your second act is very busy. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Thank I mean, you. I, I love the idea that um, you recognize that, you know, people have gone through this very tragic and difficult experience in mm-hmm. their life. And on the other side of that isn't necessarily what their life was no. before. And honoring them for finding something, finding a way that they have taken this experience and paid it forward in some fashion. And looking for looking for the positive. There's there's treasure in every wreckage. Absolutely. Um, and there's lots of wreckage in life. Big wreckage, <sighs> little wreckage. Yes. But but again, trying to find that purpose and moving forward. And and I think survivorship is very much um, the veterans guiding the rookies. Not only here's what to do when you lose your hair, or here's what kind of prosthetic to get, or what kind of reconstruction to get, but the free fall that you described after everybody's, you know, all the flowers and the cupcakes are gone, then everyone expects you to be who you were. Right. And it's only people who've either gone through it themselves or been really, really close to someone who went through a cancer experience that can understand what that feels like on the big day when you're done, only you don't feel done. Yeah. Because cancer doesn't end when treatment does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said that because um, when you talk about the survivorship where it's the veterans that are kind of leading the the people who are new into this, you know, when I was going through this 12 years ago, I didn't have somebody to have conversations with. I didn't have family around me that had been through any any of this. Everything was on the paternal side of my family, and I didn't have a close enough relationship with many of them to seek out that support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was searching for such a long time, and that was really what led me to knowing that I needed to do something, that I needed to volunteer, that I had to get involved and figure things out. So, you know, I love that there are so many people now that are in that position of wanting to help people who are newly diagnosed. Absolutely. um, Because we've been there. And our stories are all different. Oh, they are. But at the end of the day, we can still share some level of um, sameness, if you will, in the experience that we've gone through. Someone said um, at the end of one of our Girls' Night Out events – and I honestly don't remember whether it was a man or a woman because men are invited to those and men are invited to give us money and come to the performances. Um, but someone said, "I, if you had said to me I was going to an event where 50 women or 50 survivors, they were all women, 50 women survivors would be drinking wine, I would think, oh my God, it would be a giant cry fest. And he or she said, this was the most, I've never seen 50 survivors so happy about Aww. life. And even the ones who didn't know what to expect when they walked in, by yeah. the time the veterans got done with them, they were like, <laughs> holy cow, when's the next one of these? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's, and I, I love that. I mean, I really, really do. I think it's important for us to guide the way mm-hmm. um, for for people who are just coming into this or in the future right. may come into this. Absolutely. So, um one of the other things that I want to have a conversation about is, as we talk about the survivorship, you have a new book that's coming out. Right. So, and and actually then I have to give credit um, to the Veterans Guiding the Rookies line. Um, it was, it, it, 
it came to me as a part of the research for this book. Um, cancer survivors feel like we, we feel like we had a rough deal because we were diagnosed with cancer. But it is nothing like what being a survivor was um, before 1986, before 1990. Um, and so I thought Second Act was my second act. But then I was introduced because of Second Act to a woman who is now surviving her fourth cancer. Wow. And she was a founding member of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, which is an organization most people haven't heard of. It started out to be a grassroots survivor-to-survivor support type of organization. And then in 1986, it was founded in Albuquerque. Just this random group of, of people got together, although they were very highly placed people, doctors and professors and researchers and advocates, um, nurses. And um, they realized in the early 90s that if they were really going to drive survivorship forward, they needed to move to D.C. and become policy-based and policy-driven. So before 1986, you could be fired if you disclosed a cancer diagnosis. If you had insurance, it could be revoked. People thought cancer was contagious still. Um, uh, college students, childhood survivors of cancer in college could not find roommates because their parents, other kids' parents didn't want them to room together. And they're contagious. And, yeah. And they, they had nowhere to go and no one to talk to. And no one was considered a survivor until you were a random number of years out, five years, seven years, 10 right. years, three years, depended on what you had. So they rewrote the definition of survivorship. It begins at the moment of diagnosis Absolutely. because that's when you start surviving yes. cancer. Yes. And ironically, um, it was President Richard Nixon that got this whole thing in motion. In the late 60s, his advisors came to him and said, Dick, you got a problem. You got a war in Vietnam, you can't win. People really don't like you, but we have an idea. Johnson had his war on poverty. You could declare war on cancer. It's a bipartisan issue. Nobody's going to say, oh, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And and this is where they kind of went overboard, as we now know, and we'll put enough money into it that we will cure it by the bicentennial. So Richard Nixon declared war on cancer, signed the National Cancer Act at Christmas time in 1971, and um, budgeted $6 billion with a B wow. dollars for the National Cancer Institute for the next five years. He didn't cure cancer, um, as we know, <laughs> and by, by the bicentennial, all anyone remembered was the impeachment. But that money was what set the forces in motion to really start researching new treatments that created survivors. And then that group felt like you and I talked about this free fall, although they had no one to talk to. So that's how and why this organization um, was created. And I'm a biographer, so I needed a person with whom it was to, to tell this story. So yeah. this woman's voice, um, her story is an absolutely fabulous um, uh, vehicle for telling this story, this yeah. history. And because she survived four cancers, um, each of her cancers has allowed me to talk about treatments at the time and all of the things they've been able to do. So it's called From Shadows to Life, and um, it will be um, available in April of 2020. 
Wonderful. I don't get run over by a car on the way home. <laughs> well, let's hope not. <laughs> we will give you some good vibes <laughs> as you leave here. Thank you. Um, that you don't because I, I, it sounds like an amazing book. It's um, been such, I, I love the research part and it's been really astounding. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited for that too. Thank you. Um, become available in April of 2020, like you said. Thank you. Um, so one last thing before we end the show, um, you know, everything takes dollars, mm -hmm. volunteers, um, those kind of things. If somebody wanted to volunteer or um, provide a monetary donation or anything, um, how would they go about doing that? Is there something on your website that they there can is, go to? That's wonderful. So it's a second with a two, two ND, asecondact.org. And from there, you can contact us. You can uh, make a direct donation. The book is a $20. I always say the book is free for a $20 donation. <laughs> um, we're always looking for new people to um, join the fun. We're a pretty simple organization. Um, and I always say to volunteers, perspe prospective volunteers, what do you want to do? Because I don't want to make somebody go do something they don't want to do. Yeah. So people should <laughs> not be afraid to say, I want to help, but I want to do what I want to do. Fine. Yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, don't make somebody do something no. they're going to be miserable at. Exactly. Picking up trash. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> not my bag. That's right. That's um, right. But thank you for that. Yes, I, yeah. we would love it. Absolutely. And then same thing that if somebody is interested in either – participating, auditioning, um, getting more information about that, attending um, Ladies it's Night all Out. on the site, yep. The grants, um, they can all find that yep. information at your website. Exactly. Awesome. It's been delightful. Oh my Thank gosh, you so much. I am much. so glad that you came in Thanks. and you were here live. <laughs> it's always so wonderful. Oh, I know, um, yeah. Yeah, this is way more fun. Absolutely. So thank you again so much my for pleasure. all that you do. Oh, my um, pleasure. And being here. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.